In this episode, we wait out there with Trev Juth from Belgrade, Montana. Trev started his fly fishing journey in Colorado and brought his passion with him when he moved to Montana. We discuss some of the differences Trev encountered while chasing trout in Montana versus Colorado, as well as some of the benefits and lessons he has learned from fishing in town. Welcome to the Wade Out There Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Shemchuk. At Wade Out There, we believe fly fishing is special, but not elite, and that anyone can become a great fly fisher if they are willing to go, learn, and teach. Join me as I talk with other fly fishermen and women about their unique journeys into fly fishing, the rivers they fish, and the tactics and philosophies they practice. For those who can never leave the river in their hearts, this podcast is dedicated to helping you make the memories that keep us all coming back to wait out there. Welcome, Trev. Thanks for being on the Wait Out There podcast. Hey, thanks a lot, Jason. Man, it's good to good to be on here. May I say two things before we get started? I yeah. love the I love the art in the background. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. I'm an artist. I love art and top shelf mustache as well. Appreciate it, man. <laughs> your listeners can't see it, but uh, I know it's awesome. <laughs> I'm jealous of your mustache, man. Yeah, this is actually this is we're in my sitting in my fly tying room. Nice. I'm in my room too. It's yeah. a mess because I'm putting shelves in and reorganizing and, and all that. But I think everyone needs a fly fishing spot, like a room or like a little desk or a table or something. Yeah. Like a little somewhere to get away and just kind of only think about that. Just a little nook yeah, <laughs> where you can put your stuff and yeah. it's not in the way and you go there and you can hang the pictures of your fish and stuff. All, yeah. All that stuff. Dude, I'm excited to talk to you because you moved from Colorado to Montana and I spent time in Montana as a kid. And then, uh, after that moved to Colorado, um, and I just love fishing those areas. And I love talking to folks that are familiar with those areas because selfishly I get a lot of memories come back. So, uh, so I'm pumped to talk to you, man. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Let me ask how you got started in fly fishing. What was that journey like? And did it start in Colorado or was there something before that? It was, it was in Colorado. So I grew up, my dad, he's not a fisherman or a hunter or anything like that, but he did have like an affinity for the outdoors. So as a kid growing up, we were always going to Rocky Mountain National Park and stuff like that, listening to the elk bugle in the fall. And, um, it it wasn't till, till my early twenties, um, where I just felt like I needed a, a hobby. And I don't know what, what it was about fly fishing that kind of made me think I'd want to do it, but I just kind of picked it up on a whim, just total do it yourself. And nowadays, like you can get on YouTube and you can learn how to do anything. There um, wasn't anything that tipped you over the edge. It was I just, can't remember just man, like out of the that sticks out that was like, you should try fly fishing. It was just like maybe driving by a river and seeing someone doing it and thinking, man, that seems like something I would like to do. And I was a, I played like college athletics. Um, I was a pitcher in baseball and I feel like a lot of the, a lot of that like mental game of hitting spots and, 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 and accuracy and all that stuff kind of comes into play. So maybe it had something to do with that. I don't know. Um, yeah, well, that's cool, man. Where'd you play? I played at a little junior college in La Junta, Colorado, Southeast corner of the state. Um, it was a great time. Uh, enjoyed it. I bet that was fun. Did you wish you fly fished when you were down there or were you too busy for it? No, that place you'd be, I don't know what you'd catch. The Arkansas runs through there, but it's hot and muddy by the time it gets down that way. So. Okay. All right. Just uh, showing my geography ignorance there, but that's All right. Fine. <laughs> All right. 
So you started in Colorado. So after college then? Yeah, it was at, it would have been after college. Um, and, uh, just, just bought like your basic, um, you buy the outfit from Reddington or whatever, the $120 deal comes with the line, the leader, the reel, the rod, maybe a couple flies were in there. Yeah. And I, would, I would just drive to the Poudre river and just cast like a stimulator blindlessly, you know, blindly. Yeah. Um, and then one day, all of a sudden I hooked a fish and then at that <laughs> point it was like, there's no way I'm not doing this all the time. That's pretty cool. It's funny how little you know in the beginning, but you kind of keep, yeah. keep it at it. You right, know? right. It's funny that, um, yeah, I'm amazed that I ever caught any fish, really, to be honest. Um, I guess what helped me a lot was just having folks around. Did you have anyone around you that was helpful, like mentor or friends or anything like that? Or was it just... I developed, I got some mentors later on, um, or maybe not even mentors, but like by the time I started having fishing buddy, as I was pretty well established, I re- it really was just kind of total do it yourself. Obviously, popping into fly shops when you could, which yeah. at the beginning can be so intimidating. Um, yeah. Like, and it shouldn't be. It's not like we. <laughs> it, <laughs> I agree. So, why do you think that is? Why did you feel intimidated? Oh, who knows, man? It's like there's so many. It's so specialized, and everything in there is so expensive. And, uh, and the guys that are shopping there mostly know what they're doing already. And you're the one guy in there that has no idea. And you're just kind of hanging back, like trying to yeah. <laughs> absorb a little information before you go up. And I don't know why that is, but like everybody think like you always think you're going to be stupid at the beginning when you're learning something and you are, but I, I I've had never had a bad experience at a fly shop. It's just like that. There's a mental thing at the beginning. At least there was for me. I do think a lot of it's mental because especially these days, man, I mean, folks are pretty nice. And I mean, you know, if you're trying to run a good business, I would think you want to be nice to people. I don't know. I'm not a fly shop owner. Or I don't never worked in a fly shop, but being nice always helps if you're right. In a, yeah. in a like I, said, I don't know that I've, <laughs> I've ever had a bad experience. I just think it, those first first few times, like you just feel out of your comfort zone. Yeah. You just don't know. You don't know what you right. don't know. You don't even know what questions to ask. Right. You know? exactly. So it's like, Hey, can you help me catch fish? You know, and that's not an awesome question probably, but, um, yeah, someone should write a blog post about what types of questions to ask as a beginner in a fly shop. I think maybe, yeah, maybe you (laughs) are. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. Uh, what kept you coming back when you're in the beginning? So before, like right in, you're in that stage where, dude, I'm just throwing flies and I caught a fish on the stimulator, but was there something about it that kept you going? Was it that kind of athletic picture in you, like with the trying to, you know, the mechanics, of the athletic stuff? I, I think that there probably was a component of that of just like, I think just the way my mind works is like, if I'm going to do something, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to work at it until I become sufficient at it. Um, like there's not, a, I, I can't, I can't do something half-assed, you know, it's like, I have to, I have to, figure it all out. Um, and I don't, I try not to pick up a ton of hobbies for that very reason. Cause I'll get like totally absorbed in them. Really? Yeah. Cause I was just going to ask, what if you had, what if you had said, I want to go mountain biking? Do you think you would have had the same kind of, it was just by chance that you landed on fly fishing. It just happened to be fly fishing, man. And well, yeah. good, man. That's good. Though, Cause now I'm talking to you and I'm yeah. enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, I can see that for sure. I, I like, the, there's some athletic 
ability in there a little bit. You don't have to be athletic, but yeah, like the, the mechanics of it are, are, are they, at the end of the day, they're very easy. It's just that like the little tricks you can do and the, you know, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that, um, goes into it that you can tweak or adjust to get a different outcome, you know, right. like the different types of pitches you're throwing and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. You start out and it's just like, uh, I just want to get a good loop that doesn't knot up. Yeah. Right? That's step one. And then fastball down the middle. Right. And now you're, now you're trying to mend your line in the air as you cast it to lay down the line in a specific way. And it's just like figuring out, like making those progressions and it never stops. You can always, always get better at something. And I think that's what will keep me doing it for a long time to come. So, and then there's different species and different types of waters and there's different, but it's still the same kind of approach where it's problem solving. And I think for me, that's a big part of it. No matter what fish I'm after or where I'm going, I'm, I'm problem solving. And I just love solving the problem. I love like, ah, now right. I'm catching fish. And before I wasn't, it's because I, I know it's because I did this. I, right. I, I changed something deliberately and it worked. Right. I think that yeah. that's cool. Do you remember having any kind of like breakthrough moment or a time in the beginning where you're like light bulb came on kind of thing? Ah, uh, this is, this is a lot. This is helping a lot now. It, it's, it's really funny you say that though. I have, there's like a very specific moment. Um, there's a, a little lake in Rocky mountain national park called peacock pool. Um, and it's this, it's a hike in deal. I, I, I don't know how far say it's a four mile each way type of guy type of deal. And, um, it's just this little five acre pond. One of those perfect ones you look at from the top and it looks like a peacock tail with the, like the cirque and then the deep drop off. Okay. And this was like, I have maybe at this point when I went to this lake, I had maybe caught, let's say five, let's say a half dozen fish total. And I go up here and it's like, it's got brook trout and it, it's supposed to be pretty loaded with brook trout. And I got up there and I, I don't know, I probably caught. 12 fish or something. I, I don't know. No, nothing crazy. But for me at that time, it was twice as many fish as I had already caught for my whole, the whole time doing it. And, um, I think it was just like the confidence boost. I, I feel like after that, it was like gangbusters. I was, I was figuring it out step by step more and more every day after that. And I think some of it is just like getting the hook set over and over again. Like that's <laughs> like one thing I like to do if I'm teaching like a young kid, to fly fish is take them to a bluegill pond because they can set like you're gonna get bites and it's just having the confidence to set that hook and i think that that day for me at peacock pool in rocky mountain national park was like it gave me the confidence and it gave me that just the repetition of this is how you catch a fish and they were easy fish and i'm sure they still are and somebody can hike up there and figure it out because there's i don't think a lot of people go up to it but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, someone else can go up there and have themselves a confident booster. They sure can. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Confidence catches fish. I totally believe it. And, um, but it's hard to get confidence if you're not catching fish. Right. Right. But the other thing you said that's so true is the repetition, you know, like, especially, so the thing I noticed this with was for so long, if I hooked into a big fish, I mean, the probability of success for me was approaching zero rapidly like there was very little chance that jason was going to land this fish you know and maybe it was chance to begin with that i caught this fish but i just lost i just didn't catch a lot of big fish for a long long time and i think it's because like you said 
well, there's probably a lot that goes into it, right? Uh, but you don't get a chance at a big fish that often. And if you don't kind of know what you're doing, you know, you, you're going to, you're going to lose. So you got to have the reps, you know, which is time in the water. If you're, and the, and the big fish thing is a totally different animal. Cause like it's all about angles and using the, the energy and the rod to your favor and stuff. And I still don't know if I have that thing figured out, but no, I a hundred percent do not, but I'm better than I was when I started. I know that for sure. I am. All right. So before I ask you about your, your transition from Colorado to Montana, why that happened, how has a good day's fishing changed for you since the beginning to now? What do you look for? What's different in what you measure like a, a good day on the water? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, man. Cause it, it has changed. And I think like there's that, I think that it, it gets said a lot, but there's that thing where you start out and you want to catch a fish and you catch a fish and then you want to catch a bunch of fish and then you catch a bunch of fish and you want to catch big fish and then you catch some big fish and then you want to catch a bunch of big fish and then you just want to go fishing. Right. <laughs> okay. Like, but so I think I'm in the, I just want to go fishing and not to say I've caught a bunch of big fish, but like today, for instance, I got out with a buddy on the lower Madison. We Good took, for you. I got a little drift boat. I rode the whole day. Didn't cast the fly. We didn't catch a fish and it was an yeah. awesome day. You know, it was just yeah. a great day. It was, you know, 58 degrees and sunny on the lower Madison. Water temperatures were good. We didn't, we, we, I think we maybe hooked, hooked a couple, didn't boat a fish, man. And I, it was, it was a great day. Um, and so we, listen, we go fishing to catch fish, right? For like, sure. I mean, I'm trying to catch fish. Right. Like, it is yeah. better when I catch fish, but I agreed at this point, like, if I get a chance to go out with my wife and I get one and we can get her one, that's like a perfect day. Or if I, like we haven't moved to Montana, we have a lot of friends that'll want to come visit and want to go fishing. And like, my whole focus is like, let's get, I want to get my friends into fish. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, I went out with, on the river today as well. With my son on the Weber right, right by yeah. where I live in. That's awesome. Um, we caught a fish. It was a nice brown, really nice fish. And that was a good day. I just like, I want for me now, I just, I want to have the people that I care about catch fish. Right. You know? Yeah. I got a, yeah, I got a pal, um, from back in Colorado. He was my old neighbor and every time we go fishing, he goes, I just want to catch a fish. That's right. Uh, One fish. Well, sometimes that first fish too, that's enough confidence and it can change your whole day, you know? Or you just figure out that little, whatever that little thing was that unlocked the, the, the code for you. So. Yeah. All right. Talk to me about Colorado, Montana. Why, when, and what are the, the big one or two things that, that pop out at you about that as far as fly fishing? Right. Yeah. Well, the why, the why is funny. Um, you know, had made a few trips to Montana as a, as a vacationer or whatever and fished it and just loved it. And never with my wife, just with buddies or whatever. And I remember coming home from one of those trips and being like, we, I think we should live in Bozeman. And she's like, no <laughs> way. We, love, we love our life here. Yeah. You know? And then just a, an opportunity with her work came up where she could get a job at the hospital here in Bozeman. And I was able to transfer and it was just like total, you know, perfect timing for everything. And so we, we did the whole deal, sold the house. Um, it's been about two years. It was like right at the beginning of COVID, um, when we, when we made the move up here 
And, um, yeah, like from a fishing perspective, it feels like it should be similar. You know, it's the mountain West fishing kind of same kind of landscapes, but the biggest difference for me is the size of the rivers up here. Yeah. Like for, you know, the Yellowstone, Madison, Missouri, I mean, beyond the Colorado river, it doesn't exist in Colorado. Yeah. They do seem a little smaller. I mean, Montana has plenty of small streams too. Right. 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 Yeah. But it doesn't seem like I've fished as many bigger waters. Yeah. I've not been on the Missouri, but that's a that's a big river. Huge. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, at the con when the Missouri hits the Mississippi, it's bigger than the Mississippi, you know, yeah. when they, when yeah. they confluence. So um so that's like the biggest thing for us is like the main rivers are it's it, at first it was very intimidating. You're standing in a river that's 70 yards wide, you know. Yes. And, and, um, you and it all looks like a riffle. For, you know, <laughs> um, I know. Yeah. So that's actually like my favorite river to fish is probably the Yellowstone because it's huge. It's huge, but it, it looks like a river. Like I can see all the all the differences in the water and stuff. Uh, like it looks how I think how a river's supposed to look. It's got the eddies and the riffles and the runs and the deep pools. Um, whereas like a day on the lower Madison, it's just riffled water the whole way down. And uh, the guys that know how to fish it well have it all they they have figured I can out. tell yeah they can tell a difference yeah. yeah um but i'm not there yet and then uh <laughs> the other thing just i think it's less colorado to montana and more where we settled in montana is that uh i i every direction from my house i i can be in the mountains on a stream in in 15 minutes or less um it's one of the most incredible outdoors areas that I could imagine as far, like we have national forests that we can be in 15 minutes. I've got dozens of rivers within an hour. Um, yeah. 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 It's, it's pretty, pretty good. I yeah. mean, yeah. I was telling my wife when we were looking at places to move and she had never been out there and she's like, well, what, what's different about it or what? what? I'm like, it's every, like you just, it's in every direction. You yeah. Know? yeah. It's every direction that, there's mountains there, um, Spanish peaks and the rubies and like everything is like right there. I don't know all the names of the mountains, but you got, I mean, you're on them, man. Yeah. There's, they're there and they're, it's, you can, it's not like you drive any direction. It's not like when I was in Colorado and I mean, no shade on Colorado, love Colorado. Oh, I do too. When you're living on the front range, especially it's like, there's the mountains. We drive West into the mountains and now we're in the mountains Right. and it's a different feeling when you're, surrounded you're in it but that also means pretty gnarly winters too <laughs> yeah you know um the two we've had have been very mild that's um, good yeah yeah i mean it's it, it's good and it's bad it's like we're we're wishing for for more cold and snow right now because our but I know. I know, like i know exactly what you're saying i love 60 in march and april as much as anybody but it's yeah. like man we need some more snow but like yeah. what, what you're saying about just being able to like like I got my first deer this year, 40 minutes from my house. I have a fishing spot five minutes from my house that on a day where I only have 40 minutes to fish, I'm like there. Uh, yeah. and, and, uh, just, just an abundance of, of areas to go explore close to home. Whereas in Colorado, like if I wanted to make one of those trips, it felt like, like a, like a trip, like to the, to the Yellowstone for me now that takes 30 minutes, something like that would have been like a three hour each way drive type of deal from, for where I lived in Colorado. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. It's a pretty cool place for sure. 
I'm not, I'm a, I'm not saying I'm a jealous cause I'm super happy where I'm at, but I, I do love it there. I'd said in the beginning, I'm excited to talk to you cause I got all these memories coming back. Yeah. yeah it's good. When you got out to Montana, I know we talked a little bit before the show, you said you want to talk about urban fishing and I'm yeah. like, urban fishing in Montana, what is he talking about? But explain what you mean the way you explained it to me before the show, because it right. makes a lot of sense now. And I think it's super cool. And I think it's a good, um, at least like a, a tactic to approach a lot of these streams with. And it, it, it's something like, it definitely came from Colorado. So, um, so I'll start there, I guess is sure. On the, I lived on the front range. Every town has a Canyon above it with a river that runs through the Canyon and then that river comes through town and then it spits out into the South Platte, right? The whole way up from Denver all the way up to Fort Collins, every one of them has a, a river coming through it. A river runs through it. There you go, man. And uh, <laughs> the fly fishermen want to be in the canyon. It's pretty. You're in the mountains. You've got the trees. I, I like it too. But those rivers through the towns, man, like there's great trout in there. And it's weird like you can be fishing in Fort Collins right by new Belgium brewery and be catching 14 inch brown trout. So it's just like a neat way to find, like I have a lot of days, I fish a ton of days, but a lot of those days are an hour, right? Like I, I don't, I don't do a four hour trip every day, every day that yeah. I fish. And so I've always, I always am seeking a place where I can be in 15 or 10 or minutes and get on a river and, and figure it out. And it might not be as good. Like a lot of the, a lot of the trout counts in, in these town stretches or, or urban fisheries. I kind of kind of town stretches is the way I think of it. Um, the trout, the trout numbers are probably lower, but they don't get pressured as much. And so that was one of the things when we first moved here, I was like enamored with getting on these big rivers that I'd read about in magazines and stuff. And then there was a point where I'm like, man, I don't have the time to, to go out and do that every day. And then you find like the Gallatin right by your, like our apartment at the time and you go fish there. Um, yeah, it's not like in the middle of the city, but you're right there, you know? And, um, there's a few creeks like that in, in the Gallatin Valley that you can, that you can get on. And, you know, everyone here fishes. So there's, there's people there, but sure. you, you take a little bit of a walk and you've got to stretch of water to yourself and, um, you don't have to devote a whole day to it and you can find some really, really good fishing. Yeah. And I mean, if you're willing to go down that path as well, maybe you have some opportunities to fish during the week where you might not have had based on time or prior commitments or whatever. And so, and those are typically less crowded days of the week anyway, you know? Yeah. And that's, it's like everybody that likes to do this, nobody has enough time for it, right? Nobody does. I don't, I don't, I don't have kids, but people that have kids, people that have high pressure jobs and stuff, it's like, nobody feels like they have enough time to do it. And you can, I, I don't, obviously not everyone has that near them, but there's probably a bluegill pond in town. There's right. stuff by you. Yeah. So I, something close to home, you can hone some skills. You can get out there and not have to make it be a whole day or a weekend. Can wait out there. Yeah, yeah man. Right. Um, yeah. That's, that's part of why. I started wait out there is because not regrets, but just looking back on my life and, you know, the experiences I had where I was kind of engrossed in the mountains and the outdoors and then 
kind of where I was taken away from that a little bit and just always trying to get back and, and the opportunities that I had to go back, I was taking and stuff, but, um, it's just like, you nailed it, man. It, you've got something by you. And I wrote, I did write a blog post about this called, we all have home waters. And it, it's about, you know, like the, the places where I was, I could have went, I could have got deep into fly fishing for bass when I lived in Georgia, you know, and I wouldn't have, I didn't have a ton of time cause I was real busy at work, but I mean, I, I had, I had time. I, there was ponds everywhere. There's bass everywhere, you know, and then there's cool stuff out on the coast that I could get to not too far to go out for, you know, barrier islands there yeah. in the, in the, in that area and, um, and other stuff. But I think that's true. And then I just think that it's cool that you, you bring attention to that, uh, which is another thing I try and really highlight is it's hard to have enough time to do something that you enjoy this much. Like, it's, it's just hard. People have lives, they have kids, they have different things, you know? And so it's cool to uh, make the most out of your time that you have. So maybe if I go to a pond or something close by, or maybe it's not as awesome a fishing or it's not what I perceive in my brain is what I want, but I'm going, right. you know, I'm there, right. I've gone. And that's time. That's time on the water. Right. You know, it, it counts. It adds up. And if you want to progress, you got to put, you got to get some repetition. You got to get some reps in like you're saying. Right. So I think that's important. I think it's really cool. That you bring that up, man. I think the way you're saying it is, is exactly, it's like perfect. Like it is. <laughs> and, and, and it's not always like, it's not always like a trade-off where you're losing that beauty of nature. Like I've had times where I'm in a, a town stretch, like in Longmont, the town I grew up in where you're in, in trees so thick, you can't see that you're, you know, right by the main road in town and you could have 30 deer browsing. Like it's, 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 it's cool in its own way, you know? Yeah. You might see some alligators swimming around. And- <laughs> yeah. Or folks or whoever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I totally agree. Do you have a, a special fish memory from when you're fishing in town sometime? Oh, I, I mean, I have like one of those, the fish you lost, yeah, let's hear it. Yeah, I was fishing, um, again, like there's very little secrets, but I was fishing near the town of Lyons, Colorado, which is a little small foothills town. And yeah. um, I had fished this little town spot for a couple hours and was getting ready to leave. And all I had on me was like a little four-weight, uh, a little four-weight fiberglass rod. But this hole, I, I was like, man, there's got to be a big fish in there. I want to give this a run. And so I tied a streamer on this stupid little four weight <laughs> fiberglass rod. Why is it stupid? Because it's fiberglass. <laughs> you can't like, it was a disaster waiting to happen. So okay. I'm, I like put a couple, uh, I wanted to get it down cause this was probably eight feet of water or something. So I put a couple uh, split shot on there in front of the streamer, sunk it through, felt the fly stop, set the hook. But again, I'm using a noodle. So you <laughs> trying to drive a streamer into, and I, I had this fish hooked for like probably like 30 seconds and he came up to the surface once and flipped over. And there was a second where I thought like it was a carp, but it was a big old brown trout. And at that, at that was still like pretty early in my fishing. So he's probably a lot smaller than I think he was. Um, <laughs> That's okay. It's okay to say that he was, yeah. he was yeah. the biggest fish you'd ever seen. Right. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, just like you, I couldn't get the hook penetration because of this this rod that was not set up to to fish that way. But you got to try, you know. Sure. Yeah. 
What? So <laughs> I have never fished a fiberglass rod. I'm just going to put that out there right now. Okay, so sure. I don't know, but is there a reason why you were, I mean, to me, fiberglass rods are, you know, more of a finesse rod and more like uh, popular amongst dry fly enthusiasts. Sure. Is that a truth statement? Do you think? And it then, is absolutely true. Um, okay. They have, I like them. I don't use them a ton. I've got a couple. I use them for dry flies in the summer on small creeks in the mountains and stuff just for, I know I'm throwing a dry all day. The other thing right. they're really good at is tippet protection though. So like in Colorado, particularly you have to fish like a lot of six X in Colorado at certain times of the year. And so yeah. you have a rod that is bending into the handle. Um, and that thing is going to protect six X a lot better than a stiffer graphite fast, fast rod. And so that's one of the things that I, I have one on hand for is I know I'm having to fish six or seven X in a winter fishery. And I know there might be some big fish there. I might bring a fiberglass rod just for tippet protection. I don't use it a ton, but they do okay. they do that pretty well. So. That's cool. Well, some people swear by them. It sounds like you're not someone who swears by it, but you appreciate the tool for what it's used for. Yeah, yeah. like to have them. So it was just that you were fishing a streamer on it in a way that's probably not meant, like not optimized to fish. Is that why you're right. kind of joking about it exactly man it was like it's a deal where like you you have this rod that has way more flex than a graphite rod so when you go to set the hook it's got to pull all the slack of that that bendy rod as well as tighten the hook and and try and drive that hook into the fish's mouth and it just couldn't get the job done (laughs) okay what's something you've learned since you've been on montana about that's helped up your fly fishing game uh, had never fished out of a boat before, um, in Colorado. And I've got, okay. I had some pals up here that, that have boats and took me out that first summer. And, um, so that's something like, and now I bought a boat cause it's so fun to, to like, just to be able to cover that amount of water. Um, there's like obvious massive pros and cons of wade fishing versus fishing out of a boat. Both sure. have their both have their day and I will do both until the day I die. Um, but that's been a fun thing to learn is like the different strategies for fishing out of a boat versus, versus fishing, uh, wading into, into spots. I want to ask you a little bit more about that, but, um, how about something you learned fishing in town that you, that you applied to maybe different parts of water, different fishing or something? Is there anything that you picked up fishing in town was unique to that tactically? I think it's more like, um, I don't think it has anything to do with being in town, but just the amount of days I got to fish on the same water, um, you start to pick up like little nuances of, of that specific body of water where you know where the fish are sitting because you fished it 30 days this year in in those same spots. And so I think, and then I think you can apply that to other rivers, but like to go out to one stretch of river and say you walk a half a mile and fish a half a mile of river on those days where you only have an hour to fish and you hit that same spot, like you really dial in where those fish live. Like it, it, beyond just reading the water, like you read very specifically where those fish live. And then I think taking that, that knowledge, like you, Hey, this looks like my home stretch, right? I'm going to fish it this way. And so I think it's more, it's less about being urban, but more about getting to be on the exact same piece of water multiple times. Um, so you really know it and then you can reapply those tactics uh, when you go to a new river or something like that. Pattern recognition. Is yeah. What I'm going to describe right. that. 
Yeah. You get the reps, you build these patterns in your brain and then you go someplace else and you're able to apply them. Uh, I totally buy that. I'm a believer in that. And I think that, I think that's something useful for sure. If I'm coming out to fish with you yeah, and I'm going to tie some flies, which two flies would I tie? If I'm a slightly below average fly tire, <laughs> which I am maybe very well below average perhaps, but I tie, well, no, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're, oh, I'm a hairsier guy. Okay. And, and including on dry fly. So I just like to, if I were to come up here and fish any, any of the rivers we've got, I would tie like a size 14 hairs ear, probably with like a copper bead head, um, heavy. I like if I'm, if it's going to be a nymph, I like it to sink. I don't want, I don't like nymphs, right? Heavy bead head. Yep. And then the other fly I would tie is probably another size 14, maybe a 16 and it'd be like a parachute hairs ear. I think they're just buggy, man. I think <laughs> I don't, I don't really care. Like I tie a ton of flies. Color is not a thing that I, I never really think about color. I think about size and then if it looks buggy, I don't know how much color a trout sees looking up with the sun above the thing. I think they're seeing a shape and like an, like an impression. So the hairs ear dubbing to me, it should go on like almost every fly should have hairs ear dubbing because that stuff, it shoots out every different direction and it looks kind of sloppy, but so do bugs. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what about the pheasant tail? I feel like there's this, this like the pheasant tail or the hairs ear, you know, you get into these like confidence flies type things and I was like hairs ear all the way forever. And then I switched to, so I, I guess I consider both of those as like your one each standard nymph. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. I'm going to put on a hair's ear. I'm going to put on a, a pheasant tail. And it's funny how I'm so much more comfortable now tying on a, a pheasant tail. And before it was got to like, why would I ever tie that on? I'm tying a hair's ear on and it, it probably doesn't matter at all. You know? Yeah, yeah. probably not. The pheas- I tie a lot of pheasant tails, um, but I do them as like, I tie some of those jig, jig head nymphs with like a, I'll put my pheasant tails almost always have like a pink or an orange bead on them, which sometimes feels like you're cheating. Um, but man, do they catch fish and those ones? I like them cause they're like, I feel like you can tie them in smaller sizes and they have that slimmer profile. And then the other fly that you should not come to Montana without is a chubby Chernobyl and probably chubby. a whole pocket full of them. Chubby is not too hard to tie. It's oh, intimidating yeah. looking, but it's not, it's not that hard to tie. Right. I don't think. And that's like a grasshopper or a stonefly or, you know, it's, it's just a big dry fly kind of thing. Sometimes it's just a bobber, you know? Sure. Yeah. I, I, I like using it for that as well. And I like knowing that I have a fly in my kit that I tied that will work in some of these big dry fly. Cause I mean, there's some pretty awesome big dry flies that you can buy or, or that people make, you yeah. know, then they look awesome, you know, I'm just not there, but uh, a chubby Chernobyl is pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you, in the, like from like right after runoff until October, that fly will be on my rod only. Yeah. And then you can always drop off it too. Right. So now I can see the chubby for sure. Yeah. And then now I can pick up my really tiny fly if I'm in Colorado, but if I'm in Montana, I don't need one. <laughs> no, but maybe you hang a caddis off the back or whatever. You, you get it all done. If you could only fish two days in town, which two days of the year would you fish and how would you fish them? Are we saying days like dates or are we saying like just my interpretation? However you interpret 
two uh, days of the year. I get different answers. It's a fascinating to me to hear the different. I would one day would be a winter day where it's like the kind of a balmy winter day where a storm is coming in. So you might be on the on the water as the first snowflakes are coming down, but it's still warm enough that you're not uncomfortable. Um, and that probably that day probably comes in February or March around, you know, around here. Um, and I have just had some knockout dry fly days in that in yeah. those conditions. Um, so that would be one day. So we'll say, let's call that March 15th. <laughs> yes. I, I was, I was thinking that you were going to go with a, with a specific date and then, and then you started down a different path of like, Oh, I guess I was wrong. And then you <laughs> and followed then, up with a specific date. So good. And then the other day is going to be like a midsummer day. It's light out till 10 PM up here in midsummer, which is the coolest thing in the world. And um, it's going to be an after work session. I'll hit the river at like 5:45 and fish it until uh, let's say 9:30, and then I take my sunglasses off and realize I still have another 25 minutes to fish. And um, awesome. <laughs> and those are the days where it's the most fun thing. Fish are hitting on top. At first, you're fishing and watching them eat, and you're setting the hook. And then yeah. you're it's the lights getting lower, and then it ends up where you can only hear takes and you just have to assume it's your fly. So you just set the hook every time you hear a take and we'll call that day. Um, we'll call that one July 15th. <laughs> okay. I had a day like that on the Provo and uh, I didn't have a light, but I just kept fishing. I'm like, Oh my gosh, man, they're, they're just, I'm catching fish. I'm, right. This is amazing. And uh, yeah, I like those days too. And both of those things, you know, end of the day in the summer, you go home, you have a, a nice cold beer. It's warm, right? right? You're close to close to your home. Right. And then in the winter you go sit by the fire, have a nice whiskey. You're close to your home. Like you're, you're just, just close. You can stay a little longer. Cause you're like, ah, as soon as I'll be home, lickety split when I'm done. You know, one thing I thought of when you're talking is benefit of fishing in town, time, more time fishing, less time driving. Right. You know? So even let's say you have a good chunk of time, you know, you have three hours, it's an hour to the river, hour on the river, hour home versus 15 minutes in town, you know, now you got two and a half hours. Right. You know, so, right. and maybe there's some challenges to fishing in town with maybe they get fished more often or, or something like that. I don't know what your thoughts are. Do you think that fishing in town pressure, they get more pressure and that makes it harder to catch fish or some people don't buy the pressure as much? I, I mean, I think it's... Uh... I think you drive over a bridge on any river on a Saturday and there's going to be a lot of people in that vicinity, right by the, right by the access. If you, sure. if you walk for 10 or 15 minutes, either direction, you, you map out your own spot. I don't know that, um, I would say rivers that I would fish in town in Colorado and here see less pressure than, than they would up in there. And that's what we were talking about before the show. It's kind of like a, unexpected benefit of yeah. fishing in town that you would not expect, but sometimes they're less crowded. But I think what you said is exactly right. Is like, if say you have three hours, you could spend yeah. two, two in the, in the, in the car there and back. And then you only have an hour in the water. What, what you said is perfect. You're 15 minutes. You have two and a half hours. That's, that's, that's it right there. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm learning that now with some of the streams that I have around here. And it's like, I'm, I'm kind of going to a lot of the same spots, but they're so close. Right. And I just want to fish more. So I don't want to drive as far. So I kind of go to these little closer spots, especially with, um, with my son too, because we don't go home and have a beer or a whiskey, but it's nice to be able to get home quick with kids, you know, <laughs> Yeah. get a juice box or whatever. Especially like, you know, the, the, the leaky, the kid has leaky waders and you're not sitting yeah. out there anymore. You got to get home. Today was his first day with his new waders. It was oh, pretty man. fun. That's cool. It's cool. First day ever with waders for him. And it was, it was cool. It was a game changer. That was cool. Yeah. It was different. And it, it's just cool to see him excited about it. Like, yeah. it made, I'm like, okay, this is, this is a W. I'm a, he likes this. Oh, it's a, it's a huge W. I think like just, and I mean, it's in the summer, you don't need him or whatever, but like just to be able to get out where you couldn't get, you know, and for a kid, especially, how old's your kid? He's uh, seven. That see, that's I mean, they're so huge on him. You know, they're like way too big for him. Uh, it's kind of up. funny. Yeah, yeah, they're all bunched up and stuff, but it's good. I I can barely get his 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 foot in the boot because the boot is the size of his shoe, but the the waiter neoprene yeah. sock on the waiter is <laughs> so, so big. I'm like shoving it in there, but he didn't complain. I mean, he's comfortable, so it worked out. Uh, all right. What else about in town? Those were good answers on which days of the year. Appreciate that. <laughs> I hate that I couldn't. Yeah, I hate that I couldn't have a fall day. But the only game <laughs> that's okay, could, man. Fifty-fifty. That's all right. Anything else that you want to share about fishing in town that you think makes it special for you, or that you'd share with other people as something to keep in mind? I think just, just give it a shot. Like I, my wife and I love to go to breweries, right? So we like to sit and have a patio beer after a, a short day of fishing. And that's the best way to do it is you, you do your hour on the river and then find yourself a little place to go have a beer. And uh, I think just, just try it. Like stop, stop trying to fight with all the crowded spots up in the, the popular or the famous parts of the river that you fish and just go check out something different. All right, Trev. Well, I'm convinced to try fishing in town a little bit more than maybe I have in the past. Uh, and you've given me a lot of good reasons. And uh, I think it's a good good thing to uh, think about when you're going fly fishing, for sure. You mentioned before the show that you are a passionate journaler or that you enjoy uh, journaling and keeping track of, of your fishing experiences. Um, why is that? And when did that start? I don't know if it was like a progression from I've always drawn. Um, so I always have liked to draw and uh, I'm, I'm always, I'm also like super like organized. Everything has to have a place. And um, I, I like, I like having a shelf with little things right in their place and having these journals. I, you know, I have one where I just write like little stories about certain things. Like I, I probably have one about, home waters or home stretches, like a little, not a poem, but like a short, short little thing about it um, with drawings and things like that. And then a couple years ago, I started keeping a, like a log, a fishing log. And it was just a way for me to, to like take that organizational step that my brain needs to have. Uh, and then now I found it to be a really good way to, to like look back and, and plan fishing trips. So it's, 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 all right, well, let's get in the nuts and bolts on it, if you don't mind. Yeah, I'd yeah. like to ask you some specific questions. So 
what are you writing on? Is it a is it a big book or a small book or what do you find useful? And has that changed? Have you progressed from one to another for your fly fishing journal? No, I've, I, I've used the same ones. Um, they're it's like a leather bound thing, but you can switch out the pad inside. It's not real big, probably like a five by eight type of size deal, like just like your normal paperback book size. Um, and they're cool because I can buy. They all look the same, and I have them labeled real nice with like the dates. Uh, yeah. so I can set them on the shelf and they look real like begin to start and end like right. dates right. For that, exactly. that journal is from this time to this time. Right. Exactly. And so I don't know. They're just like, think of like a moleskin size journal. Okay. What do you keep track of in there? What's your top three things that you definitely put in every time you go fishing? So it'd be like a brief description of the day at the top. So say weather temperature, like ambient temperature outside. Sometimes I would do water temperature, but I don't always do water temperature. Obviously where, what river and where I fished, um, what day. And then I kind of write a summary of how the day went, what flies worked, what I, what else I tried that didn't work, fish I lost, fish I caught. Um, it's usually only about a paragraph, so it's not that detailed, but, um, and then I usually do a little doodle at the bottom, something, something that, it like about that, like what, maybe a picture of a fly that I, that I use that day or something like that. So. God, this is awesome. It's so you're drawing cool. in this thing too. Yeah. Okay. Have you found keeping track of certain things more than other have, well, well, first of all, let me ask, how has it helped you progress keeping a track like this or has it? Um, I don't know that it's, yeah, I, I would say it's helped me progress because it it's like a way to I can reference it for a day. Like I can look back at where I fished on uh, what is today, where I fished on April third in in twenty nineteen, and what the conditions were. And if they're similar, I I think I can go out there and probably have a similar day if I want to fish that that river. Um, and not the exact date or whatever, but like sure. a month or a water level that I can kind of think, Hey, I had a really great day on this river doing this around this time last year. Maybe I should give that a shot again. Um, it's made me pay attention to more things. I'm not, I'll, I'll, I'll often, I forget to say, take the water temperatures. I'm not like, I forget a lot of the things that I would like to be really diligent about. Cause I think that would be useful information and that it, it gets a little, like, you don't need to know that stuff. Um, but it, I, I, I wax and wane on whether or not I keep track of all that stuff, but definitely always note like what kind of weather there is. I think that's super helpful. Yeah. Weather for sure. So how often, or see, I feel like, I don't know if I keep track of this journal or this log, if Jason does this, I'm trying to imagine when I go back into that. And so can you explain a little bit like what makes you pick one of those up off the shelf and, and search for information? Is it, Hey, it's this time of year and I'm not sure where I want to go. Or is it something you do every time or just what, what drives you to reference these things? Definitely not something I do every time. It's usually like the, like kind of what we spoke about earlier, buddies coming into town first night, we're hanging out, we're having a couple beers, figuring out where we want to go tomorrow. And I'll be like, well, let me see what was going on around this time last year. And then you might, maybe that helps you pick it, or maybe it helps you avoid something, you know, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing to reference is like going on, like taking 
you can go back and look at um, like the, the water survey numbers for dates in the past. And so even though I don't necessarily keep track of that, I could go back, like say I wanted to fish the Ruby River and I had a great day on April 15th of 2020. I could go onto the, that geological surveyor site or whatever it is and figure out what the water flows were that day and what they are today and see if it's something I'm comfortable doing. Cause there's nothing worse than driving an hour to a river and having it be blown out where you can't wait it or something like that. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like also that it, uh, it helps you know what to pay attention to, or it helps you develop patterns like you said like things to look for that maybe you might not have looked for before like water temperature maybe you don't take it every time but if you did and you started looking at it you might notice ah man every time there's this type of thing or generally when there's these types of conditions this this sort of fishing is good or um, this weather or these flows the fish are moving to these areas and these flows i feel like that's something that would help me that would help expedite what takes or what a lot of people have just through experience, you right. know, like I'm on the river all the time and I've lived here my whole life. And I just know this river, like the back of my hand type of people, which is awesome. And so they can tell, yeah, when there's a late fall and it's snowing or the water's high or dirty, you know, they just have enough memories of that. Whereas maybe somebody who's newer doesn't have as much reps, but maybe the specificity of some of those details would be helpful for me. They would, I think. Yeah, I think so. The other thing I think about like why I like doing it is because it's also a way to kind of extend your fishing trip. You get home and kind of settle back into that and uh, you get into that journal and kind of relive the day. And it's a way to kind of, like I said, extend that experience for a little bit longer, you know? Yeah, that's the obvious answer, right? Memories. It, it's a, it helps you catalog some of those special experiences and right. memories, especially if you're drawing cool-ass pictures in there of fish and flies and stuff. Is there anything that you kept track of in the journal that you were like, that you used to like pay attention to that now you don't? And you're like, ah, that's not very helpful. I did a year, I, it was a while ago, but I did a whole year where I like kept track of how many fish I caught, like specifically like that would be the last line on there was like six fish today something like that i don't do that really anymore um it'd have to be an absolutely notable day but my you know most days you 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 leave them alone after five or six i think so all right anything else you want to bring up about the the journal i think that's pretty pretty cool it's something that i've started doing um i don't think i've been as thoughtful as you on some of my whys. So I appreciate you sharing some of yours and some of the hows of what you do with it. Um, one thing that I've tried to do is come up with like a list of things. So it's like this, I hit the same things every, that's been hard for me to hit the same things right. every time because if I just have a blank piece of paper, it's like, ah, all right, what all do I need to put down here? You know, I kind of forget things if I don't have like a list or a checklist or something. So. Right. Yeah. I think that's that, that, uh, developing kind of a checklist would be a good way. If you want to get into it, a good way to remember what you're, cause like I said, there's days where I'll forget to do something. And it's like, it's not that important. You know, I'm going to go fish anyway. If I have the day, I'm going to go fish anyway, despite what my journal said about that, you know, a year before I just like, it. it's like a, just a, yeah something that's fun for me to do. And I think a lot of people get a lot out of it. You don't have to be like, good at drawing either to draw a fly. It's just like your interpretation of, of that fly you used today. 
That's true. You could draw a stick figure fly. There you go, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, we talked a little bit about your art and, um, before I ask you my last question, uh, Trev, how can people find out more about you kind of follow along on your journey? And then can you speak a little bit about your art? I know you made, made it seem like not a big deal, but I think it's awesome. I can see some of the art in the background. It's pretty impressive. And you showed me some of it before. So, uh, can you just talk a little bit about art and why it's important to you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just something I've always done. Um, my, my father's a super artistic guy in like a lot of different mediums. And when I was a kid, like he took a tree stump and carved it with his chainsaw into like a big bear. He still has it in his yard in Colorado now. And just like, I just always grown up around drawing and and just doing different stuff. And um, I always joke, like, I feel like I have a couple weeks every year where I'm gung ho and I draw and I draw and I produce all this stuff. And then it kind of fizzles out. And I, you know, it takes some time to build back up and then I really dive back into it. But um, I do a lot of relatively simple line drawings and things like that. I've drawn a lot of maps in the past of rivers um, that that I, you know, that I hold near and dear to my heart. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just something that, something I, I like to do. And um, we were kind of talking off the recording about like, I don't sell any of them yet. Maybe I will sometime, but I've got a lot of friends that have asked for prints of, of some of my drawings and it's the coolest thing in the world to have like your friend hang something you made in their house. Um, and when you go over there, it's, it's, that's like the greatest honor you could have as someone that likes to, likes to draw things. And, and like the best validation is like a friend that says, I really want that to be hanging in my house. I think that's, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah. And then as far as uh, finding out more about me, um, really the only way would be probably on Instagram and like speaking of journals, like that's how I think about my Instagram is like this very visual journal where you like another way to capture memories that we're going to be able to like hold on to and re-reference. And um, like, it's kind of weird to think, but I actually find a lot of times, like I'll scroll back through my own pictures just to like remember certain days. Um instead of like always being just scrolling through the feed. But yeah, if anyone wants to, wants to reach out or anyone that's coming to Montana that wants like a no judgment uh, idea of where they can go and, um, and, and spots to check out. I, I'm always, I get a lot of people that'll message me and say, Hey, I'm coming to that area. Like, and I'll, I'll put you in a spot. And Cool. You did mention that you have sold some. And I thought that was a pretty cool story. I don't want to make you share it. If that's oh, okay. sure. Yeah. So <laughs> back when COVID first started uh, in Colorado, at least like everything was shut down. And so um, the fly shops were, were all shut down and it's tough on a business like that, that relies on people coming in. And a lot of those shops don't have really functional websites, um, which I'm sure people listening to this have ha- have that, uh, that experience. Um, so I did a, I did a basically like a line line drawing of, you know, six or seven of my favorite fly shops on the front range. Um, and just kind of laid them out in a way that I felt was uh, aesthetically pleasing. And, um, I posted on my Instagram and, and sold a, you know, a fair handful of them and, uh, went ahead and just donated the money back to the fly shops that I had drawn on. It was a few hundred bucks. It wasn't anything crazy. Um, but you know, for, for them that's selling a, 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 a rod or, you know, a few dozen flies on in a time when they couldn't. Um, 
And so that was just something I was in one of those kicks where I was drawn a bunch and I thought that'd be a good way to good way to try and help out in any small way. That is a good way to help out. And, um, yeah, that's pretty cool, man. That's very cool. Uh, all right. Last question. You ready? I'm ready, man. Okay. If you could go back to when you started fly fishing and give yourself two pieces of advice, one more tactical and one more philosophical, what would you tell yourself to help you progress as a fly fisher? I think I'll say this is the tactical one. I don't know if it's necessarily tactical, but I think I would have benefited from trying to reach out to people early on when I was fishing and get like a mentor or a fishing buddy with more experience than me, instead of just trying to go out and like figure it all out on my own, um, which is what, how most people start, but it, it would, you got to just kind of get over the being nervous about not being good at something in front of somebody and just kind of let it go and just go out and do it. I mean, it's, it's not a big deal. <laughs> you know, we're, we're just trying to catch little fish, you know, it's uh, so I think that would be one thing early on. I was, I was very nervous about, I don't know what it was, but I was very nervous about going into fly shop or whatever. And I wish I had just been like a lot more confident and just said, Hey man, I'm new, you know, yeah, help me out or, you know, um, and then, uh, philosophically, um, for the most part, I don't know that much has changed philosophically. I think early on, I think it's, and I think most people, you're very interested in how many fish you catch and stuff like that. But I also think that that's how you learn is like, you have to have that desire to, to get them or else you're not going to really get better. So I I don't think I would have changed that. I'm glad that I've progressed a little bit beyond that in a lot of ways, but I don't think I would have necessarily changed it. So I don't know philosophically. That's a tough one, man. Okay. Well, your first one's good, and the second one's pretty good, too. So I'll take it. Call it one and a half. Yeah, one and a half. <laughs> All right, Trev. Thanks for taking the time to be on the show, man. I really enjoyed talking with you. It was a ton of fun. I'm I'm glad you reached out to me. I remember, like I, I said back to you, like, I don't know why you want me on here, but uh, it's- Now you know. Yeah, your, <laughs> your message is great. Um, Like the whole message of your podcast, and I'm glad that I was able to kind of talk a little bit about few things I like to do. Well, I'm glad as well. So thanks again. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening to the Wade Out There Fly Fishing Podcast. You can learn more about some of the topics we discussed in today's episode show notes. For more fly fishing ideas, stories, and artwork, check out my blog and online gallery at wadeoutthere.com. If you want to make Wade Out There a part of your own fly fishing journey, please subscribe and share. Until next time, wait out there.